Good morning, everyone, and welcome to class. Good to see a few visitors with us and those of you audio listeners who are tuning in later. Today, we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, and I feel that God has really pressed it upon me for this season. We're going to be talking about friend or foe. So the first thing I want to begin with is a little bit of discussion and see if you guys... See if we can get the technology to cooperate. All right, we're going to talk first about friendly faces. And I want you to think really hard about who your best friend is, like best friend, and who they are. And then I want you to tell me what are some things that you really like about them. Does anybody want to go foist? I'll count Lily as a best friend. Oh, and why is Jane your best friend? Jane. No, that's important. That's very yeah, important. And like, we're like crazy together. Oh. <laughs> Did we tell you like, okay, so the other night I stayed at her house and her gum got stuck in my hair. Oh no. So there gum? we were at five in the morning trying to get gum out of my hair. How did okay, did y'all use peanut butter? No, no. oil. Oil? Like olive oil? Or like cooking oil? Yeah. Like cooking oil. Like you this. smelled like a French fry the rest of the <laughs> no, day. No, I watched it out. Oh, okay. Alright. Anybody else want to talk to me about their best friend? Maddie is Mal's best friend. Maddie is Mal's best friend. And what uh, what makes her your best friend? Because she's I say at amazing. house for me. She's amazing. Can you define amazing? She's really nice and she's sweet and she's caring. That's beautiful. Nice and sweet and caring. I want to tell you guys about my best friend Jeff. So uh, I met Jeff kind of later in life. I met him in college actually. I was like 21, 22. And he came to Chi Alpha one night, which is like our campus ministry. And I met this, actually that's not where I met him, okay? I met him at a, like a banquet type thing. And the first thing I thought when I saw this guy was like, it's a pretty good looking guy, rugged, you know, knows his stuff. But then I noticed that he was kind of interested in this other girl. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if Jeff has, because I was also interested in this girl. But it didn't work out for either of us. So me and Jeff, uh, we got along really well. And Jeff was funny. And a lot of the jokes that Jeff and I make, like we get each other. And so after I've known Jeff a couple months, I realized this guy is like the brother I wish I would have had. Like if I would have had a brother, it would have been Jeff. Like that guy. Yeah. Jeff, I guess. So then, later, it's like a year. We've known each other almost a year. And we meet this other girl. And she's very nice, very pretty. And I'm like, oh, this girl's pretty cool. She seems fun. So then a couple weeks later, Jeff texts me. He goes, hey, man, are you into this girl? And I was like, no, not really. I mean, she's nice. Well, I don't think she's ugly. He goes, okay. I was just checking. So then a couple weeks later, I noticed Jeff and this girl hanging out. And Jeff's got his hand on her chair, not like around her, but just on his ch- her chair. And I'm like, hey, Jeff, something you want to share with the class there, buddy? And he's like, okay, I really like this girl. And so Jeff and I were supposed to be college roommates the next year, but they got married. So, oh, But I was in the wedding. It was beautiful. And I love them. And their little bitty girl with her big old blue eyes. Oh, yeah, and... I think yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeff. What if, what if you said yes? Well, I mean, she's not my type. She's Jeff's type. But we are, I mean, me and Jeff, uh, it's like whenever we see each other and we haven't seen each other forever, it's like we just saw each other. Like we are just that close. 
best friends. So we love best friends and we can always count on our best friends and we have all these inside jokes and experiences with our best friends, but on the other side, oh, what? <laughs> Let's talk about our, click, enemies. There we go. There we go. For sure. Now I want you to think, and you don't have to share this one out loud if you don't want to, because you don't want the audio to hear it or whatever. Who's your worst enemy? And what, <laughs> and what caused them to be your worst enemy? Because she talks about her players the way she's not supposed to. Oh, okay, I see, I see. Oh my gosh. And it's typically something against us, right? No one says, well, this person is my worst enemy because they put ketchup on their fries instead of dip it, and I just, I can't stand oh, I it. <laughs> no. There are some people like that, right? Where they say, I was best friends with uh, Chad until I realized he didn't like mayo. And I'm like, no, Chad, no. Poor Chad. Poor Chad. No Chad. No Chad. Yeah, no, we all forgot about Chad. Chad, no Chad. No Chad. Oh, just new Chad. Chad equals bad. So I want you to think about this, and this is a crazy thought. Is it possible, is it possible that your best friend could ever become your worst enemy? No. Yes. Oh. Now we we wouldn't consider it, right? We wouldn't want to consider that, but realistically, mathematically, there's a chance. Because our best friend knows so much about us. And you know what they say, the people who are closest to you can reach around the back. Right? I want you to remember that. The people closest to you can reach around the back. But we, we, don't, we don't worry about it. We don't have fear that our best friend's going to stab us in the back or whatever. But when we meet new people, we have to be careful. Because sometimes if you meet someone, you don't know them very well, you can trust them with something, and then it's like, oh, you know what, actually, I couldn't trust you. And today, we're going to talk about something that God's really been moving on my heart. Because there are people that I work with, and people that I interact with, and just things that I notice in ministry. And I was talking with some friends the other day. And the Holy Spirit really just moved something like what Pastor Ruben was talking about this morning. Like he just shows you something all of a sudden. So we were talking about how we treat other people and how other people treat us. And what I said in this conversation, I said these words. I said, well, they're not Amalekites. They are Samaritans. I know what's going on here. So when I said that, it really stuck in my brain because of what that means. They're not Amalekites, they're Samaritans. Check my tools here. So we're gonna go through a little bit of history and talk about the ancient Amalekites and the ancient Samaritans as soon as I fix this little plug-in here. And, okay, I should have fixed it. So Amalekites and Samaritans, let me see if this is going to cooperate. This nice, shiny TV. There we go. Amalekites and Samaritans. So, quick geography quiz. How many of you are familiar with ancient Middle Eastern cultures? Nobody? Do we know where the Middle East is? Okay. Well, quick geography lesson before we jump in. Maddie, where is the Middle East? In the middle of the east. In the middle of the east, yes. So, 4103 East Mockingbird Lane, Victoria, Texas, 77904. No, that's East High School. 
So when we look at the Middle East, it's not the Near East, which we consider like Europe maybe, or the, not the Horn of Africa, but like the Ivory Coast, the West Coast of Africa. Then we've got the Far East, and that's like your China, and your Eastern Russia, your Philippines, and Japan. But in the Middle East, that's where, uh, really where creation started, kind of that Fertile Crescent area, the upper tip of Africa into the beginning of Asia. So you've got uh, the nation of Israel over there, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got ancient Babylon, you've got Iraq, all of those different things. So because that's where creation started in that area, then we have really old civilizations. We have people, uh, I have a friend, she's vacationing in Rome, and she went to the city of Pompeii where that volcano buried everyone. And so they dug up the town and you can walk, they won't let you in the buildings because they're still excavating, but they dug up the town, you can walk the streets and they have a museum with like the bodies covered in ash because they're like fossilized. It was crazy, she's putting pictures up. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the Amalekites and Samaritans. Amalekites go way back. And we're gonna start with the Amalekites. They were a desert tribe, because in the Middle East, there's a lot of desert. So like many desert tribes, the Amalekites were nomadic. That means they traveled. And in Numbers 13, 29, places them as native to the Negev, which is a desert between Egypt and Canaan. Now everybody knew about these guys because they were bad dudes. Have you guys ever seen a movie or read a story? And whenever people talk about those people, they're just bad people. They're plunderers, they're like the Vikings or the Mongols, where they just show up and they do bad stuff. The Babylonians called them the Sut, Egyptians the Situi, and the Amarna tablets refer to them as the Kabati or plunderers. Like these people were known, like a biker gang, like they travel around, they just do bad stuff. So the Amalekites. Now, they're mentioned specifically in the Bible for what they did against the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 25, Verses 17 through 19, this is what Moses is telling the people. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. Have you guys ever been to Goliad, Texas? There is a fortress there, and it has a picture with like the arm and the sword. And they used to say, remember the Alamo, remember Goliad. What did the Mexican army do in Goliad? They killed everybody. There was a massacre. They captured the fortress, and everybody inside was like, okay, you got us, we give up, we're gonna be your prisoners until the end of the war. But the guy in charge said, no, we're just gonna kill everybody. And so if you go, there's actually a little film that they play, you can watch in the little theater. And the commanding officer said, I have three requests. One, that my belongings be given to my wife and children. Two, that I have a Christian burial, because he knew they were gonna kill him. And three, that you don't shoot me in the face. So they lined him up for the firing squad, shot him in the face, burned him, didn't give him a burial, and then stole all his belongings. That's wicked, right? I mean, they usually ask, even in war, do you have any last requests? So the Mexican army did that, and then at the Alamo too, they massacred everybody. And that's the kind of people the Amalekites were. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind, typically women and children. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's given you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. So they did all these things 
unprovoked. It's one thing when a country goes to war and another country defends itself, right? What's coming up in a couple weeks that we're going to celebrate? Father's Day. Well, Father's Day next week, but in a couple weeks, we've got the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. And what do we celebrate on the 4th of July? Independence. Independence from who? Mm, how many of you still need to take U.S. history? <laughs> so Jasmine knows because she passed the U.S. history test. Independence from England. England was in charge and they were not being fair to the Americans. And we were like, freedom. And we fought and we won. Just barely, but we won. And now we live in the United States of America. So the Amalekites were bad dudes. They were plunderers. The Amalekites' hatred of the Jews and their repeated attempts to destroy God's people led to their ultimate doom. Their fate should be a warning to all who would attempt to thwart God's plan or curse what God has blessed. That goes back to Genesis 12 and verse 3 when God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, Look, I'm going to bless your children and whoever curses your children, I will back you up and I will curse them. I feel smarter. So, they were destroyed. And I want to talk to you about why they were destroyed. People read this section of the Bible and they're like, wow, I can't believe God would want to wipe out all these people. Men, women, children, oxen, donkeys, like everything. But there was, and I researched this because I was just stumped why the Holy Spirit would put that on my heart. And it was like a heavy thing. It's like, they're not Amalekites, they're Samaritans. And then I just like, wow. So I looked at that, and the Amalekites were hostile against all of these other people for over 300 years. It was a culture of death. Like you were raised to believe you had to kill the outsiders. Like, that's so bad. I know, we can't even, it's hard for us to even understand that because we live in a country that's accepting and forgiving and tolerant and all these things that you learn in school or at home. And in this culture, they were raised from, it, it kind of reminds me of like Spartans, you know, when they're toughened up at a young age. And they were raised and trained to kill outsiders. Like that was their entire culture. And you read a little bit about where they come from and their background in the Bible, and it makes a little more sense because of their um, ancestor was Esau. And the Bible says that the sons of Esau would be wild men. So these are those wild men. They would run around, they couldn't settle anywhere. Because everywhere they went, they would start fights. They would raid and steal and kill and just drive everybody out. So God eventually said, enough is enough. This is the promised land. we got to wipe them out. Now, King Saul was not obedient because God said, you need to wipe them all out. And he's like, uh, well, I'm going to do it this way. He let the king live. He kept some of their spoils, like their uh, animals and stuff, their money. And it turns out that eventually King Saul is killed by an Amalekite. Because God told him, hey, get rid of all of them. But he didn't, and in the future, it got him. That's like some Avengers stuff, right? They should have got him in the past. Have you seen the Avengers? I guess it's like... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No spoilers. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about the Samaritans. Because this revelation that God gave me says they're not Amalekites. They are Samaritans. So what is a Samaritan? There we go. Well, Samaritans are foreigners. When the Israelites were scattered... They intermarried with the Israelite population that was in and around Samaria. So they had a home. 
They weren't wanderers. They didn't go around picking fights. Samaritans first worshipped the idols of their own nations, but then they embraced kind of a mixture of Christianity and their own stuff. Because the Israelites had intermarried, Samaritans were considered half-breeds and were universally despised by the Jews. Now, had they done anything violent? No. There was no fights. There was no wars. There was no murders and kidnapping and plundering. None of that. But they saw them as bad because they weren't doing the same religion and they weren't from the same race. So the Jews were like, ugh, half-breeds, Samaritans, I spit in the dirt. But here's the difference. These causes, there was an irreconcilable difference between them, so the Jews regarded Samaritans as the worst of the human race. A little bit of racism there going on. In John 8, 48, they talk about it, and they did not deal with them at all. John chapter 4 and verse 9, which I have on the next slide. In spite of the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, Jesus broke down the barriers between them, preaching the gospel of peace to the Samaritans. In fact, to this day, if someone does something nice for someone else, and they do like a news story about it, we call that person a good Samaritan. Now, when Jesus told that story, it was scandalous, because the Jews of his time would say, well, Jesus, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. We hate them. Well, why do we hate them? Because they're different than us. And they're, they're doing it wrong. So we hate them, Jesus. And you should hate them too. But we're going to read in John chapter 4 here in a second how Jesus relates to these people. And the apostles later followed his example. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 4. And I'm reading out of the ESV today. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, Jesus is at a well, and he meets a woman. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So theologians and people who teach the Bible, they see this as one of the first times that Jesus extends the covenant, because everybody thought, oh, well, it's just for the Jews. But Jesus says, no, it's not for the Jews, it's for everybody. Samaritans, people that the Jews thought, oh, Jesus, you're here, you're great, you're gonna give us salvation, but, but not them, because they're dirty, because they're half-breeds, because we're better than them. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm here to give salvation to everybody. And this really hit home with me because when he offers this, this is the point. The Jews, if they would have had their choice, would have wiped out the Samaritans. We don't deal with them. We don't talk to them. We wish they didn't even exist. Half-breeds. Ugh. But Jesus saw them as people. People that he could reach, people that he could give living water. But when we talk about the Amalekites, there was no redemption for them. And I want you to follow me here. It's a little tricky. God decided when it was time for judgment. Jesus offered forgiveness and redemption. So here's the point. 
the people that I was wrestling with and the people that I was upset with, we had argued. And so I was tempted now to say, well, I'm a Christian and you argued with me, so you're my enemy. And I'm going to pray for, for God to curse you or to strike you down. And what really God was saying in my heart was, who are you to decide that they deserve judgment? Now, hear me carefully, and we've talked about this before. Everybody loves to talk about Matthew chapter 7, where it says, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. And they say, well, you shouldn't say that this lifestyle is wrong, or this choice is wrong, or that's wrong. We can recognize when choices are wrong, but the difference comes when it comes to eternity. God knew the Amalekites were beyond saving. Nothing you told them was going to register because it was an entire culture of death. And if you kept them around, they'd kill you. But sometimes, as Christians, we grow up and we read all these stories in the Bible about the Battle of Jericho and how the vegetables marched around and they threw the slushies at them and the veggie tails. And we're tempted and we say, well, I'm doing this. So that means God's backing me up. And if you're against me, then you're against God. And that makes us feel good. Makes us feel like we're righteous. Makes us feel like we're doing the right thing and you're doing the wrong thing. But I want you to recognize something. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua didn't know who he was, but he was dressed in armor. And he pulls out his sword and he says to him, Are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord says to him, Neither. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And that really sticks with me because many times as believers, we want to say, well, I'm doing this, so that means God's backing me up 100%. And if you're against me, then you're against God. And it's very easy to go down that path. But what the Holy Spirit was showing me, people who argue with you, sometimes just disagree. I mean, sometimes we have disagreements in the church. Some people say, well, women shouldn't be preaching because they interpret one scripture a certain way. Now, Pastor Rosie's over there revealing stuff to us, and we're like, wow, that's what the Bible says. She's a great preacher. So we disagree with those people, but we don't want to kill them. A lot of people around the world, they view certain lifestyles as sinful, and so it's against the law. And they say, if we catch you doing that, you're going to die. We will kill you. So all of a sudden, we in America, we see that lifestyle and we say, well, that's bad. And they say, why do you hate us? Why do you want us to die? Well, we didn't ever took it that far. Or especially now with all of these laws coming out about abortion. When people say, well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. Well, now I hate you because we disagree. So here's the difference. God who knows all things, he's all-knowing, he decides, hey, you know what, these people, they're too far gone. Jesus shows us, look, people you just disagree with, you show them Jesus, and he does the rest. We don't have power over people to determine whether or not they're going to heaven or hell. Now, we can obviously judge whether a decision's right or wrong. We don't know whether they're going to heaven or hell, because that's between them and God. We don't know if someone's dying and they repent and they cry out and they make it to heaven. Even somebody who's really, that we think is really bad. Like, oh, well, that person, you know, he was a serial killer and all these, but if he gets saved in prison, he gets to go to heaven. 
And sometimes we think, well, that's not fair. Well, none of this is fair. We all deserve to go to hell, but Jesus offers forgiveness to anybody. But sometimes we get saved and we learn so much about God and then all of a sudden we say, well, that's just for us. You're not allowed that because you're doing it wrong. You're just a Samaritan. I hate you. Whoa, you made fun of me for going to church, so I hate you. Or you said I was dumb because I can't prove that God's real, so I hate you now. Or you said, what, you're in high school and you're still a virgin? What's wrong with you? And you say, you know what, you're my enemy now. And it's very easy for us to do that. As humans, we want to put up this defense shield. And in our minds, it's so easy and it makes so much sense. I'm here. You're against me. You're against God. I feel better because I'm with God and you're not. So you're going to die and go to hell. <sighs> what a beautiful day. <laughs> but Jesus shows us that's wrong. See, I work with and I deal with and I teach a lot of people that I really disagree with and it bothers me and it makes me upset. But I am not God. See, just like King Saul when he said, you know what, God, I'm not going to do what you said because I don't think these people are all bad. God decides. God knew, hey, if you don't get rid of them now, they will get rid of you later. But Jesus said, you know what, this woman at the well, she's looking for something. She's hurting. She's looking for it in all these men. And he tells her later on in the chapter, he's like, yeah, I know you're not married. You've been with five guys and the one you're with, you're not married with right now. She's like, how did you know that? Because he's Jesus. He knows all of these things and he knows when people need to be saved. We were Samaritans one time. And in reality, we were like Amalek. We hated everything about God's goodness until we were shown God's goodness. So this is what I wanted to drive home today. When people are out in this world and we interact with them, we're bound to disagree with some of them. But that doesn't mean we have to condemn them to hell. First of all, we don't have that power. We can't say, scoot over God, I'm gonna sit in your chair of judgment and I can do this. That's what Satan said. I will assume the throne to the Most High. And then God said, boop, and he went down. That's why we have like the enemy, the devil. So I wanted you to like write this somewhere on your phone, a memo or something, and let's practice this this week. And it's a very simple prayer. And I feel like it captures everything that we've been talking about today. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Because first and foremost, we need to recognize we're not perfect. Give me the strength to forgive people who sin against me. If you have any Catholic friends, they know this phrase, down pat. Forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's straight from the Lord's Prayer. And then this is the empowerment. This is the difference. And this is what Pastor Rosie was just talking about after the special offering. She said the Holy Spirit's going to be showing you things. Holy Spirit, show me the difference between people who want to hurt me and people you want to help. See, if we decide all of a sudden we had a disagreement with someone and we say, you know what, I'm not going to minister the love of Jesus to you. We may have been the person that God called to reach them. <coughs> I ran into a guy a couple years ago. His name's Fish. Well, his name's uh, Clayton Fisher. But he said, hey, man, what's going on? And I saw him at the Jeremy Camp concert at Sun Valley Ranch. 
And I never would have expected him to be there because he was this wild party animal in college. We played tennis together. He's like, hey man, I got saved. I was like, really? Like, I had no idea, this is a miracle from God. He goes, yeah man, I wanna thank you for being a good witness when we were in college. Like, when we go on tennis trips, you were never wilding out, and you weren't a party animal like us, and I thought I was kind of dumb at the time, but, man, I, I remembered that, and then I heard the Word of God, and, and I realized that you were just living out your faith, and, and I wanted to say thanks, and I had no idea. Like, I never would have thought, like, oh, well, this guy, he's beyond help, you know. He's already made his choice. Like, he's already chosen his path. And a lot of people do that. Unfortunately, we do that too soon. Somebody gets pregnant, they're not married, and then what do we say about them? Oh, well, I can't believe her. She's got her lifestyle, and she's going to be this and this and that and that baby and blah, 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 and no dad. But that's too soon. Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, and he knew she was in sin. He didn't tell her that was okay. He said, look what I have to offer. So at the end of this prayer, I ask this in Jesus' name. Because we're not the ones who save anybody, and we don't have the power to condemn anybody. Now again, we can recognize people's choices as right or wrong. You did something wrong, okay? It's still our job to love you like Jesus loved you. Not to endorse and say, hey, I'm going to jump in the middle of your pride parade and say love is love. And all this. No, we're not, we don't have to endorse what they're doing. But we can still love people unless the Holy Spirit shows you, hey, be careful with that one because they're out to hurt you. And we shouldn't immediately jump to that conclusion unless it's through prayer, unless it's a warning from God, unless it's testimonies of people, not gossip, but people saying, hey, be, be careful about this one. And that happened to me two years ago. I was working at the school and a teacher pulled me aside and said, hey, you need to be careful around this person because this and this and this. And there were some accusations. I'm like, where did that come from? Like, we don't know, but you just need to be aware. And so now I knew with that person, let's pray from a distance, right? Let's not be close. Let's not be in a room together because I don't want them to say, well, he did this and he did that. Because some people are out to hurt you. I'm not trying to scare you. This is a youth class. We just need to be aware, right? That's why we all wear our same t-shirts at camp, and that's why the adults 18 and above have to take the child abuse test, and we have to pass so that we can be aware. Because there are Amalekites out there. They're not a certain color. They're not a certain nationality. They're not a certain gender identity. They're not a certain religion. They're out there. There are people even in the church who do things bad, and they make the news, and everyone's like, that's why I don't go to church. No, you don't go to church because you've got offense with God. But now you have an excuse. Especially when I've had conversations with like young adults or people who used to come to church, and they say, well, I don't come to church because pastor this and pastor that. But we don't worship pastor. We worship God. And so now they're trying to make the pastors Amalekites. Well, they're against me. Pastors think I'm going to hell. Really? Did they tell you, like, you're going to hell? Or did they tell you, you need to get it right because the decision you made was wrong? See the difference? When Jesus tells the woman at the well, you've been sleeping with five guys and the one you're with isn't your husband, he didn't tell her, you're going to hell. He said, I offer you living water. You know, when we sang that song, Joy and I, last week, we said the kindness of Jesus that draws us in. The Bible says that the kindness of Jesus draws us to repentance. So no one is ever saved 
by threats, if that makes sense. How do you prefer to respond when your parents get after you? Do you prefer for them to yell and scream and threaten you, or do you prefer for them to say, look, if you do this, then this is what you will benefit from it, right? Like if you do your homework, then you can play video games. Or if you clean your room, then we can go eat out. Or if you save your money, then I'll let you buy this. That's much better than them tearing you down and being like, you're always gonna do this and you're horrible and I can't believe that and you're just gonna be like your crazy uncle so-and-so. Because <laughs> we all got a crazy uncle so-and-so, right? But what God was showing me in that moment when I was talking with that person, and I've ended up having this conversation with many people. In fact, I'm gonna share on this Tuesday night a Bible study. Is that we as the body of Christ, believers who love Jesus and Jesus loves us, we shouldn't keep that from people unless they're not safe. If you know that someone is a gossip or they're gonna stab you in the back, you don't share with them the things you would with your best friend. But just because we're not best friends, we shouldn't make those people our enemies. And this is the best way I felt like I could put it for you guys, and I want you to make it a point. If you need to set an alarm on your phone or tell Siri or Google to give you a reminder to pray this this week, either in the morning or at night. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Give me strength to forgive people who sin against me. And Holy Spirit, show me the difference between people who want to hurt me and people you want me to help. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think about, again, your worst enemy. And I want you to consider, before we wrap up, whether or not they're out to get you or you've decided that they don't deserve the love of Jesus. Because sometimes God's called us to reach those people. Like Jonah hated Nineveh. They don't deserve your goodness, God. So he ran the other way and the, the whale came and got him, took him back and he's like, okay, God, I'll preach. And then he, even when he's going, he's like, I'm gonna preach to them and they're gonna reject God and I'm gonna sit here and watch God destroy them. But do you know what happened? They repented. This horrible city that hated people and did all these ugly things, Jonah gave them the word of God, and then God worked on their hearts. Because it's not us. We don't save people, but we can definitely turn people off to the word of God. You say, well, I'm a Christian and I love God. But then they see you doing all this stuff on your Snapchat or whatever. And you're like, oh man, now whenever I try and minister to them, this is what comes up. So that's what I wanted to share with you this week. When you are interacting with people over the summer or seeing people on social media or as we get ready in just two more months to go back to school. No. Oh, I know, I know. I want you to remember whether someone is a friend or a foe. So thanks for tuning in, all you audio folks. We're gonna end the recording right there.